Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Isn't he an awesome God? He is worthy of praise and glory and of honor. There's no other God like him. And, and praise be to that. Because if there was, we would be confused. We'd be lost in where we stand, but we don't have to worry about that. Thank you, Jesus, for that one, for, for identifying yourself to us, Lord, as the one true God. Praise the Lord. Give me a second here. This thing kind of went a little bit haywire on me. Praise the Lord. <laughs> God is good. Amen, amen. Coming up real quick. I'm going to have to go this way. Praise the Lord. Well, you know, I, I might as well just talk about it right now. Well, it was great when we had a... Uh, Friday, we had a uh, foot washing event, and of course, we also, also had communion, and I, I have to say I enjoyed that quite immensely because um, the Word tells us to, to do things, you know, accordingly, and God's Word is our instruction and our direction, and um, I'm excited to, do, to see that we continue to do things that God has asked us to do. He deserves our praise, and He deserves glory in all our works. Praise God. Amen. At this point, um, I just wanted to say it's good to worship the Lord. You know, we come to a place we can worship God and give him praise. You know, this is the only place we can do that. Amen. Praise the Lord. You can also do it at home, but when you're at home, you know, it's, it's, it's at your own, you know. You can't do it anywhere else, so why not do it now here at this place where it's, this place has been prepared for this, to worship the Lord. Praise God. At this point, and again, we live a day-to-day -day life and everyone else, and you know, our mindset is a little bit different from others. And uh, the reason I say that is because our worship is, is to be, uh, the word says that we worship God in spirit and in truth. And that's who God comes to seek. And what better way to begin that than at, at the beginning of this year, and I know it's day number two, but it's a good day to start to worship God, even though it's the second day. Amen. If you didn't do it yesterday, you can do it right now. Praise the Lord. God is good. But also just a small announcement. My wife didn't know I was going to do this. But today, I want to thank God for my wife. He, uh, today is the day that God allowed her to be born whenever it was. That he, I won't say her age, but I just want to give thanks, God, to that. Give him glory for that. God is good. And now if you would turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 22, verse 1 through 5. is We're going to start that. God's word is always is always refreshing, no matter where you open up to. If you uh, if like the word say, if we're seeking, we're gonna find. Amen. And in the book in, in the book of Revelation, chapter twenty-two, verse one through five, and he showed he showed me a, a river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the midst of the first of the street. Of it, and on their side, of, on the side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the twelve and the leaves of the tree were the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him, and they shall see His face, and His name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no more night, no be no night there. And there be no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. 
Amen. If you'd bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. Your word is your instruction, your direction, Lord. It prepares us for the time to come, Lord, and even for times of now. But it reminds us of where you have brought us from, Lord, to be grateful for all that you do for us. Bless every heart, every mind here today, Lord God, as we come to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Praise God. The title of this, this message is A Throne for One. And generally we would think that a throne for one, we would be talking about God's throne. But in this case, I'm, I'm talking about the throne that we at times sit in and we don't want to let go. As we learned two weeks ago, uh, brother was uh, talking about how Joseph and Mary were cast uh, outcasts because they chose to listen to the voice of God. Uh, Mary would give birth to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, they would be used in part for the work of the Lord. And, of course, after this, Jesus would be born and the 12 apostles would come forth and they would be used to share the gospel throughout the world. <clears throat> this gospel would deliver us out of captivity we would learn how to live, uh, hear God's voice, and more importantly, to, to know how to receive the spirit of the living God. In the Old Testament, the Jews were the keepers of the law, and yet they couldn't keep it. Jews, the Pharisees, Sadducees, they would have uh, probably excommunicated them because of this, this thing that had happened with Mary and, uh, and Joseph. But it's still, they would go against the thoughts and the understanding of man, and they would walk in the ways of the Lord, which he had instructed them to do by the angel who gave them the message and appeared to both of them in two separate times. Mary knew uh, who she was giving birth to, as did Joseph. Knowing the responsibility of caring for Joseph the Messiah, I'm sorry, Jesus the Messiah, uh, who, would, who would save the world, it seems that they kept everything at a low profile, seeking no position of either political or religious power, should they have done, just how far would they have gotten? But there was something about them. God knew that they would hold to their humility and not seek a way to be lifted up. But, and again, there was something about them. God himself would declare that something about them through the actions towards them and manifesting himself to them through the angel, but then also to the whole world. They would be remembered and recorded in the historic accounts of the Bible without even trying. Throughout history, people have fought over uh, the right to ascend to earthly thrones. Some have won battles. Others have probably gained it through political power. Uh, in other cases, arranged marriages were also considered acceptable. So it's, uh, you, you will hear from time to time, peace treaties between the kingdoms uh, were brought forth. But I want to talk to you today about Chronicle, I'm going to go to Chronicles chapter uh, 36, verse 11. And I want to talk to you about Zedekiah. Zedekiah held a throne at the age of 21. It was granted to him by Nebuchadnezzar. Not that he had earned it in any way or form, but it was given it to him because the person that was there prior was no longer, uh, the Bible says they, he was removed. Now, <clears throat> in verse 12 and 13, we read that he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he did not humble himself. In the presence of Jeremiah, when Jeremiah came to him and started to speak to him on what was happening and what he was doing wrong. He rebelled. The Bible says that even so, he didn't only rebel against him, but he also rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. There was an agreement that he had made a promise, I should say, or he had uh, made an agreement with Nebuchadnezzar that 
things would happen a certain way, and they obviously didn't because the Bible says that he, he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart from turning unto the Lord God of Israel. Here God is freely giving this king something to handle responsibly. It did not cost him anything considering that he was, again, just replacing the last king uh, and who did poorly, in fact, by that in his office. So his job was other than to remain loyal to the Lord as well as to those he had given his word to. And our words should count for something. Reading in verse 14 through 16, the chief priests, the people, the Bible says that the people polluted. So this is, again, this is during the time of Zedekiah. The people polluted and they transgressed the house of the Lord. So the priests and the people were involved in this. Obviously, God was going to overlook everything and everyone and hold everybody accountable. And not that everybody died, but he did kill many of them. But here's what it says. When they transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathens. So they were doing things that were of the heathens that basically were unacceptable to the Lord. And then, so I, I started to think very much after all, so not all, but about all of it. And again, this is in all their ways, which is the heathenistic way. So how much of the commandments and statutes and laws and ordinances did they keep? I would say probably the same amount they probably kept as they did for the heathenistic is what I kind of figured. Because in order for them not to keep them, that means, that means they'd have to give way to that that was not for them to keep. And again, which again turns into rebellion because God does not see those things as something as honorable, but it's dishonorable. So the word heathen, I, I defined it, I looked for the definition because I, wasn't, I, I knew some of it, but I wanted to bring a little more clarity. And it's used as a noun, and it, it here it's described as derogatory, a person who does not belong to a widely held religion, especially one who is not a Christian, Jew, or Muslim, as regarded by those who do not. And again, similar comparisons of these same people would have been pagan, infidel, idolater, idolaters, unbelievers, non-believers, and so forth. But just by calling these out, you can probably get a general idea of what this, this, this idea of people it was to be heathenistic. I don't know how bad it was. Uh, I believe God would have preferred it that it would have been there not at all. But even then, God still had compassion on them and on his dwelling. And, and, and the Bible says that he had compassion on them, but also because there was a place there where he would meet with them. Because he called it his dwelling place. It was his temple, and they dishonored it, even though they knew it was made for him. The word says in verse 16, and this is still the same, same chapter. I'm saying same, same chapter. And he sent messengers, and they mocked him, mocked them, uh, hurt them, and tortured them. As they saw fit. Hmm. They cared not for the message that they, had, that they had to listen to, which he had to say. And they continued to do so, these things. And then it says, until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, till there was no remedy. So the king was there. All these things are happening. And there's no control over it. And Zedekiah is not saying anything about it. He's allowing it to take place. So I put it here at the end, it's pretty much done. They could no longer do anything to stop the judgment that was coming or going to come against them. In 2 Kings chapter 25-7, Nebuchadnezzar, obviously we know, kills Zedekiah and his sons and blinds, blinds and binds him with chains. And it says he carried off to Babylon. Now in verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar uh, goes a bit further. He says, they burnt the house, the, the, the Bible says that they burnt the house of God. 
and they broke down the walls of Jerusalem. And I remember reading in, in uh, Ezra all about this before they were built back up. And I remember re recollecting uh, that there was people who cried out to rebuild those walls and people who cried out to rebuild the temple. And obviously Nehemiah was one of them, Ezra was another, and many other elders that were there as well. But what really caught me off guard was what was it, so, what was it that, that angered God so much that he might have done that? And it only comes to one, one answer is that disobedience. They were not doing what God had asked them to do. The Bible says that they burnt everything, destroyed, well, everything, not, not the things inside the temple, but those things that belonged to the palaces, they destroyed God, the goodly vessels, things that they found, the people that were, lived there had value. They, they, God didn't care for that anymore. If you don't care for me, I can't care for you. These were the things which held value to the, and again, when he said, when, when he sat on these, so these people's hearts, what sat on these people's hearts, you know, and I'm going to say the thrones of their hearts, it was their own desire to please, you know, their, those who surrounded them. It was, it was again, those, the, the pagan rituals, the, the things that they did, whatever it was that was brought into the temple. Very much, Paul refers to them as men-pleasers in the New Testament. Man-pleasers that desire not the things of God. They forgot what it was to be grateful for what they had and to honor the one who provided for their needs. The real king of glory who is Jesus, the Lord God, who we know to be the, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb, the Lamb of God, who is the one and the same, who is Jesus Christ. God asks us, asks us and requires very little of us. I believe God ordered the burning of the temple because he could not stand to dwell in it because it had been desecrated, as well as tearing down the walls, the same thing. In the heart of a city, if the heart of a city is no good, much less is the outside. I think the Lord was telling the children of Israel, if you don't care, I will not hear and I won't be here. Or I, I'm sorry, I, I don't care either. And not that he didn't care for them, but he didn't care for the things that they were doing. King Cyrus, King Darius, and King Xerxes. These three kings wrote decrees to make sure that the temple was rebuilt, that the walls were put up. Many times they tried to stop them. In the book of Ezra, where, where we find some of that. But again, it, it, they did that while, during their reign to make sure there was something that they had learned, that, that there was a God that they didn't serve. And Bishop was talking to me about this. They were, they, were, they were pagan, but yet they still honored. They still honored what they knew. In, he in heaven, only one sits upon the throne reigning solely and unequivocally. We know that Satan once tried to achieve power. The Lord sent him hurtling down to the earth like lightning to proclaim the Lord's exclusive right to the throne. While politicians of the world and leaders of current pastimes battle over earthly thrones, we, we rest secure in the knowledge that Jesus sits on the throne of heaven. We owe the one true God our admiration, praise, and worship for, for he is the Lord of all. John 14, 2-3, in my Father's house are many mansions. If you, it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back, come again and receive you unto myself, that, there, that where I am, there ye may be also. So in the midst of all this, 
I read this story, and it was, um, it was sad to the beginning. But, you know, as we continue to read, we, we realize that through obedience, those who stayed in obedience, God blessed. It always followed. In Revelation 21.6, and he said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the foundation of the water of life freely. Freely. And in Revelation 22, verse 1, I'm going to start with that one. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. There's something that comes through obedience. There's a blessing that still comes forth through obedience. Through a love for God. I mean, I, I'll start, I'll say that. Here there's a reference to what God has for us when we get, get there. The home that we will, uh, that we will be in, we will live in, it will be a new heaven. It will be a new earth. The Bible says there will be no longer no pain, and no, mem no memory of those uh, we know or who didn't make it. The past will no longer matter. I mean, time will be no more. It will not exist. In eternity, there is no time. We will live forever. Revelation 21, and again, back to, uh, in Revelation 21, the first verse, John sees, again, the heaven, new earth, it's passed away. And I'm going to bring you into uh, this scripture where it says, verse 3, And I heard a great voice out of the heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and their God. And we know these are, these are the people that have continued to serve God and wholeheartedly and say, God, I'm going to continue to fight. When I say wholeheartedly, it doesn't mean we don't fall. Falling is part of our, uh, part of our growth. And in the midst of the street, I'm bringing you back to... Revelation chapter 22, verse 2. In the midst of the street, and on either side of the river, there was a tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. The healing of the nation. And then verse 3, and there shall be no curse. So healing brings, healing meaning that, Curses will be gone. Curses will be lifted up. No pain. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and again, bringing you to, to Revelation chapter 1, uh, verse 12. And again, I, I caught this one. Uh, and again, running through it because it catches me by surprise sometimes. The scriptures, everything sounds beautiful. And, and let me just read a little bit about this. And it says, at Revelation chapter Chapter 21, and it says, verse 9. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And if for some reason I'm thinking, like, what, what, why would, what, what's, I thought perhaps it wasn't, but perhaps it is. Perhaps this is a time already when the Lamb's wife is, or we are already there, is my guess. And and it says, and he carried him away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed him that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending 
out of heaven from God. And then it says, having the glory of God and her light was like unto a stone most precious with like a jasper stone clear as crystal. And he had a wall. This is the, this is the, the catch here. And he had... And had a wall great and high, and the twelve gates, and the twelve, and the gates, twelve angels, and the names there, names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. So we know that we're talking about the gospel. I hope we're we're grasping on the east gates. We have three gates per side. This is on verse verse thirteen. On the east gates, of the north gates, three gates on the north. I'm sorry. On the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And verse 14, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations, which is there, which is there lives for what they stood. And this is me, me referencing, which is what they lived for, teaching the gospel. This is the, and in them, the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. John 17, 20, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me, through their word. So this foundation was set. And here we have in the book of Revelation where God is talking about this foundation. So the 12 apostles went out and did their part. And those who received, received. And those who did not, did not. But now we have the word of God to help lead us into this, into this truth. It's almost like the voice. It is like the voice of the apostles. But we also know it's God's word that spoke through them. I believe that God was precise. He has precise measurements. He's never off. Uh, that being said, um, everything described in, in Revelation chapter 21, 50 through 17, it has purpose. And, I, and, I'll, and I'll read it so you can see what I'm kind of talking about. Everything sounds so perfect. It's measured out. It talks about the golden reed, the city and the gates thereof, the wall thereof in verse 15. And in verse 16, it says, And the city lieth four square, and the length as large as the breadth. So all I can see are, are high, high gates, high walls. And nothing can get in and get out but through these gates. And it said it's measured, the length and the breadth. It's equal. Verse 17, and he measured the wall thereof 144 cubits according to the measure of a man that is of the, of, this is of the angel. So I'm guessing this angel was that tall. Revelation 21, 21 through 27. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Every several gate was one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent with glass. And I saw no temple there, therein, for the Lord God Almighty, the Lamb, are, and again, and the Lamb are the temple of it. So again, the picture it, that, I, that I get here is, we first, the Bible says first that God dwells in us. He dwells in us. And so at the very end, when we go to live with the Lord, it's, and I'm not saying that we're going to be in Jesus, but we're going to be encompassed by the glory of God. And the Bible said, the city had no need of sun, neither the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God delighted. And the Lamb is the light thereof. Nations, verse 24, the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor unto it. And again, this is where I kind of get... I get excited about Scripture, and the gates of it shall not be shut at all by the day, for there shall be no light there, or so no night, I'm sorry. So meaning that there has to be light always. It's never going to be shut. No form of darkness will be present. No such form. 
And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And here comes the kicker. Then, it, then this comes up after all this excitement, reading this, you know, see this image. And, and it says in verse 27, and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. And again, and I, I was, I'm reflecting this this scripture to the one, uh, to the one to Zedekiah. You know, they there was a uh, there was a temple that was, he 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 pretty much felt as being on top of the world and trying to make it seem like it's. It, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna let it fly by. It's okay. I'm just here. But the fact of the matter is that when we are given a position, and not not our own throne, but a throne below, and I say throne below because God's throne is the only throne. We have to step off that throne, our throne, and get at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I don't want this throne anymore. Lord, as a matter of fact, I'm going to hack it up if that's okay. I mean with the saw, not out of my throat. <laughs> so I just want to make that clear. <laughs> Amen. The truth is sometimes, the truth is we can lose, uh, you know, we can lose ourselves and believe that we're okay. And greater than some, we lift ourselves up at times. And, it's, and it, you know, it's, and it's, it's sometimes it's the mind, but still we, we want to remember that we're not great because, because we we're great. We're, if, we, we, if somebody says, oh, you did a great job, it's because God is working in our lives and he is making us do these great things. We have people tell us all the time, you are, I love the way you are. Well, that's because Jesus is, lives inside me. I believe and I serve a living God, and this is why I do this. It's not, you know, yes, we, we still have to pursue and we still have to put our part in, but I'll tell you what, if I don't have something to live by, I have nothing to go by. So praise the Lord. All right. And that is what makes, you know, and again, this is what makes a child of God. It's, it's not the outside uh, it starts with the inside, and then the inside should start to coincide with the outside. The Bible, in the Bible, there's many kings that rose, you know, they rose up to power, doing the evil things in the eyes of the Lord. They thought, uh, you know, their position as king made them invincible and untouchable, uh, was sort of short-lived, and I'm going to say because of their mindset. But let us not think that this cannot happen to us. To think of ourselves higher than someone looking down on them as if they're nothing, as if we hold a higher position than they do, Makes us no better. The Bible says that Jesus made him, made himself of no reputation. He ate and he sat with the sinners. He was before the demon-possessed people and he delivered them out of their bondage. I want to be like my father and not like myself. To be like myself is to be the God of my own world. But to proclaim Jesus as my God and my Savior and I do, and I do the work of the Lord is to say that he has bought me with a price. And that is what I want to do, the work of the Lord. Who is Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is the Lord in heaven, of earth. He created the heavens and the earth. He was here in the beginning, and he will be here in the end. But he's also here with us now. Praise the Lord. And the Bible describes Jesus as the Lamb of God. To take a moment to think of the characters of a lamb, it's kind of a cute and softly, you know, cuddly thing. But to pick, and then you, you could pick it up and probably won't, it wouldn't fight back. Because it's not strong enough. Not that, that God couldn't fight back. I don't want to say put God in a box and say he can't fight back. He could, but he didn't. So we, you, you take this lamb and 
you know, you're supposed to take care of it, hold it, love it, and care for it. In the very same way, I want, if you picture yourself, and I'm not saying that you're the lamb, but this is the body and the temple of the living God. So we want to take care of this body and look after it, treat it as we would want God to treat us. Lord, Lord I, need, I need your kindness. Well, I need to be kind. So again, God is also described as a lion. Uh, you know, he, he comes as an innocent lamb in humility to die for uh, sins, shedding his blood for us. And then as a lion. Why, why a lion? Because it describes how he will come in judgment. He came as a lamb, so innocently coming, you know, uh, doing his work so that all could be drawn to that gentle goodness of who he was. And he still is while he walked the earth. But in his return, he will come back looking for those of disobedience. He'll bring judgment upon them for their ways of conduct and their ways of life. The Bible says that, but I wish that they were, he says that I wish that you were neither, you know, luke, hot or cold, that you'd be lukewarm, one foot in, one foot out. Again, he, the word says that he will spew us out if we're lukewarm. I was looking at scripture the other day, and I didn't realize this because I had not paid quite close attention to it, but in the Bible, to the seven churches, there are five that God tells to repent. Five out of the seven. And it made me wonder. First about myself. First about myself. It's always about myself first. Lord, how am I, where do I fall in? And I started to look down these categories and say, where do I fall in? What am I, what am I doing? So to play the part in church and to play the part outside of the church, to speak a certain way in the church, to speak a little differently to others, it's not God's way. We're the same here as we are outside. And we need to stay that way. In the book of Chronicles, it points out conditions that the children of Israel failed to follow. And the Lord brought destruction upon them. The book of Revelation also gives us some clear ideas and images of what God expects of us spiritually to enter into the gates. So God is not only good, he's also great. He is merciful. He is forgiving. He's loving. He looks past all our mistakes. But more importantly, he's always in our midst when we call upon his name. And when you're baptized in Jesus' name, it always helps. In Genesis 28, 28, 16, the Bible said that Jacob awaked out of his sleep and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. I remember walking into the church the first time, and I remember feeling that same Say, man, like, what's going on here? I was asleep with fear in my heart. I became aware of God's presence and manifestation. God existed. This was a time of my repentance. This was the time for me to turn to God. It was the time for me to leave everything behind, and I did just that. Not it, I should say, a little bit at a time, I should say, I should say everything, but most of it. It was a quick, it was a quick changeover. It was... It was sudden, I'm just going to say that. Much of it was left. And until now, praise the Lord, I, don't, I can't find anything that I would say that um, I've kept or I have done from those times. I've left them all. I've, I've abandoned them. It's one thing to say that God is real, but it's something different to realize that he really exists. And your whole personality changes. And it truly is a life-changing event. A lot went through my mind in that fear and I, that I encountered, but at the same time, I felt blessed to learn this because that is what, where I began my journey and my new walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about Him. 
It's always about him. He draws us closer to him and he brings us out of that darkness and he blesses us with his presence. And in closing, the power of nostalgia cannot be overstated. As much as we love moving, moving forward in the future, we often find ourselves looking back to the past, trying to recapture joyful memories. Our hopes, longings, and desires do not exclusively, exclusively rest in the future. They also live in our past. In the book of Revelation, we see the Lamb bringing the, the world back to the Eden-like state. God does not merely reset the clock. He destroys time, allowing us to live with Him for all eternity. The one who sits on the throne shows His power. We all long to be there with Him in the blessed day when He calls us home or raptures the church away. Sometimes, however, we look too much into the past instead of anticipating this glorious future. As positive as nostalgia is, it can also get in the way. We can, put too, we can put too much focus on what our walk with God used to be like. We remember of the first time we prayed and God answered. We remember receiving the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues as tears flow down our faces. We remember the Lord giving us that much, what we needed, word inspiring us. Somewhere along the way, however, we allow the light of the lamp to grow dim in our eyes because we put things in front of God. We still shone just as brightly as always, but our blinders prevented us from truly seeing him. We must make a conscious effort to put the Lord back in our th on the throne of our lives and dethrone ourselves. For even though he reigns supremely as the God of the universe, we also decide whether we will accept his rule in our hearts. To return to the light, we must worship the one who sits on the throne. True worship removes everything else from the throne of our hearts. We must remove the idols, and sometimes that takes Jesus, that they take the place of Jesus. We must remove the distractions that clutter up the throne. Most important, we, we, some, we sometimes have to remove ourselves from the throne to humbly invite Jesus back into it, into our lives. We can correlate Jesus, the king of our lives, and put him back on the throne through worship. Worship removes idols and distractions and allows us to focus on our king. Worship cleanses us of pride and selfishness as we abdicate, if I said that correct, the place of power and return the throne, return the throne back to him who deserves honor and glory, who is Jesus Christ alone. If you now join us in song and in worship and closing, he is the king of kings. He is worthy of all worship and praise. If you would stand with me right now and give him praise and just to give him honor because he is worthy. Lord, we worship you today. We honor you, Lord. It is your name that is above every name. It is your name that cleanses sin, Lord God. It is your name, Lord, that redeems and brings. Oh, Lord God, we just want to bring glory to your name. We worship you.
Let's take ourselves off the throne and put him back on. He deserves the throne. It's, it belongs to him. It belongs to you, Lord Jesus. And we honor you for that, Lord. Praise the Lord. And close, I, praise it. I pray that God have given you this word and might have ministered to you somehow. I know that I had difficulty with it. But that's what he gave me. So God bless you guys as we prepare to go into the... Uh, next service and, uh, and into prayer. Praise the Lord. God bless you in Jesus' name.